fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and tell crude jokes about oil and gas with my friend Vienna. True. You know, I always thought that natural gas was like... I don't know. Because, you know, they talk about, like, methane from cows and whatever. And I was always just like, how, what? So, wait, like, you... I always thought that it was, like, biologically produced, like, you know, bacteria somewhere. It was just, like, farting up a storm underground. I was going to say, like, did you think, like, they hooked up machines to, like, milk the cows of gas? Like... <laughs> no, no. Because, like, I knew that they were, like, fracking for it and whatever still. It was just, like, I don't know. It also is kind of funny that it's, like framed around natural gas and whatever when it's like majority methane which is like globally understood as like the like real bad greenhouse gas (laughs) but then they called it natural gas so that it would sound less bad for the environment that is that is kind of weird to frame because it's it's not like we call oil natural oil you know Mm-hmm. I guess maybe it's because the gas is naturally occurring, but what gas isn't naturally occurring? You know, like there, <laughs> there is a point in which it doesn't really make any sense. Anyways, we will we will get into all the the fun shenanigans that involves uh, oil and gas uh, in this episode. But for now, how are you, Vienna? Um, I am all right. I. I am pissed at pasta packages today. Uh, okay. I tried to open a pasta package without like scissors or anything, and I just destroyed the entire bag because, and just like spilled pasta all over the ground. I was infuriated. Um, yeah, that's the kind of day that I'm having. <laughs> How is your day? Uh, How are you? Mine's been relatively uneventful. I'm I'm really tired. I did, you know. In light of what you're experiencing, I did see a kid drop a slushie at a 7-Eleven. So just just know that there's a child out there experiencing a similar vibe as uh, you. Mm-hmm. So That's a much worse day than I've had, I gotta say. <laughs> I mean, it was before they bought it, so I guess it wasn't ruined. They were able to, to get a new one. Maybe the okay. employees were a little sad having to clean it up, but they were actually really nice to the kid. So all in all, it was yeah, probably a helps. good... <laughs> It was good. Just vibes, imagine but... being a kid when like five bucks or whatever a smoothie costs these days is like, you know, the most money you've ever held in your hand at a time, and you pay and then drop your smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. that. Uh, I mean, this kid. I mean, the mom is clearly paying for it with the, <laughs> with the age of this okay. kid, but uh, but yeah, I mean, all all was well. But I'm I'm really tired, so hopefully we'll we'll be able to plow through this episode fairly quickly. Uh, it, you know, we've we've left truckerdom somewhat, so the the trucker content it as a is at a very severe minimum in this episode, which is really nice. But uh, this now means that we are going to be solely focused on Russia and Ukraine. However, it is actually kind of like. I guess the the in a weird way the best kind of content from it. <laughs> it's not like so I know war everyone's probably bracing themselves. This episode's going to be full of like heavy content. But really we're just going to be talking about uh 
oil and gas imports. And that's that's pretty Hell much yeah. it. So. <laughs> Always bird of gas. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I should say as well, this is, you know, weirdly enough, our hundredth episode. Uh I know it's it's like an arbitrary milestone, but like might as well just acknowledge that that occurred. I mean, technically we've released several more than a hundred episodes because we've released certain like bonus content here and there throughout, but this is officially our 100th episode of covering a week of Ezra. So, fun. (laughs) 100. I've spent way too much time on this person, but uh, we will continue maybe maybe for 100 more. (laughs) Once, 100 could have been the price of gas. Maybe two or three years ago. Now it's... It literally is 182. I just drove by the gas station... (laughs) Here in in London, Ontario. Yeah, yeah. Uh, out in the country, I think it might be pushing too. Like, yep. So yep. Uh, hang in there, folks. Uh, I mean, this you know, just frame it up front too. This is probably a perfect opportunity to push the government to invest instead in renewables. Just say it. But uh, for now, we'll just get right into it. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So this is the week of February 28th to March 4th. And on the 28th, Ezra begins the entire episode by complaining how we didn't do to China what the world is now doing to Russia after Russia invaded Ukraine. So, for example, he's mad that the world didn't boycott the Winter Olympics that were recently held in Beijing, and yet we're banning Russian participation in sports now because they invaded Ukraine. He's also mad that we didn't sanction China due to COVID. And and lastly, he suspects that China could get away with invading Taiwan without any sanctions from the West because the West is just deeply in love with China for some reason when they should be our real uh, enemy. True. Ezra really understands geopolitics. Yeah, I mean, there's several things to highlight here which are rather... One is just interesting, the other is rather silly. But, like, I do think that his... In his mind... And, and it's going to come out in this... Our episode here, that Ezra is against Russia and what they're doing. But you can generally feel from him that there's a sense in which he wishes it was China. Like he, it's almost like it's almost like he feels a disappointment in Russia because he should be angry at China, but now he has to be mad at Russia. You know, China is the true new Cold War target that he wanted, and now Russia is back as like the main Cold War target. You know what I mean? Like there's a vibe there which which he's disappointed that the the horse that he backed didn't win currently (laughs) win Mm -hmm. in terms of us being militarily angry at them china invading taiwan would be world war three instantly like right that was the other point that i i I said there was two points that was the other point like he says that but i'm like no i mean there was a reason why like that was starting to trend on twitter 
immediately after Russia invaded Ukraine. Because people were like, keep your eyes out on China and make sure they don't behave this way. I also think, and, and let me know what you think, because, you know, we're, neither of us are geopolitical experts here. <laughs> but I have a sense that given what is happening to Russia, that might dissuade China from doing something like this in Taiwan. Uh, so Ezra might not get this kind of thing to <laughs> to get the world to gag up on China in that sense. Yeah, no, like, yeah, like, China has no want or reason to emulate the mistakes that Russia is making. And, you know, Russia already had paramilitary forces on the ground, and it's a land invasion. Taiwan would be fucking air and sea only. And would also kick off a war with the U.S. immediately. So it's just like, I don't know, Ezra's stupid. What a surprise. <laughs> that and like, I think there's a difference too uh, in terms of the, let's say, desperation of, of these states where Russia was already somewhat isolated in the international community in various ways in which China mm -hmm. wasn't. So China in that respect has a lot more to lose, I think. Then does yeah. Russia from from doing an invasion like this? But but anyways, it's not happening to China. It's happening to Russia. So mm -hmm. <laughs> after he finishes complaining that the world isn't targeting his preferred enemy, Ezra wants to hit on his main point in this episode, which is that Russia is untouchable because we have stopped producing from the tar sands in Canada. And we canceled, well, Joe Biden canceled the Keystone Pipeline. So because oil sands have stopped and because Biden canceled the Keystone Pipeline, this has made the world reliant on Russian oil and gas imports. Haha, ha, idiot. We're going to Maduro and Iran. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And there's so much to this statement that uh, is clearly wrong, but we'll get to that in a second. But... Ezra, like, uh, he, he then wants to reflect on the sanctions that are being put in place. So remember, again, that this is February 28th. Uh, Ezra, th this is when the SWIFT banking system was being, uh, Russia was being uh, cut off access from it. And Ezra kind of laughs that off as if it's, like, not going to do anything. Although I would say it's going to harm a lot of Russian people who don't mm -hmm. want the war. Uh, and it's going to be very devastating to them. So, like... May, like, I mean, the fact that Ezra doesn't even mention that is just worth highlighting here. But then he argues that the only real way to hurt Russia is to sanction their oil and gas. And again, he argues that this is something that America and Canada uh, can't do and they won't do it. Haha, ha, idiot. <laughs> gas is a dollar eighty-two, Ezra. <laughs> My point is, Trudeau and Christian Freeland promised to shut down bank accounts of the Russian oligarchs, but none of them bank in Canada. Um, Trudeau and Freeland promised to shut down Russian banking altogether, but not for oil that they sell to the world. Same, same with Joe Biden and the United States. Bizarrely, 
they have exempted oil and gas from any sanctions because Biden canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. It was one of his very first things he did upon taking office. And wouldn't you know it, those 800,000 barrels of oil a day would nicely displace the oil coming to the U.S. from Russia. But, but what are you going to do? Just stop driving? So they, they have to keep buying that Russian oil. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe use solar-powered cars and solar-powered planes or something. And, and maybe Ukraine should too or something. That's what Jem Psaki says. He plays a clip by Jen Psaki here. Uh, she did not, in fact, say that. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's no point in playing that clip. Yeah. To be fair to Ezra, Canada announced it would be banning all crude imports from Russia on the 28th. So it's possible that he didn't get that news prior to recording this episode. <laughs> so the idea that Canada won't, uh, it did. And it did on the day they recorded this. However, it's also worth highlighting that the last time Canada imported crude from Russia was in 2019, and it only represented a three per, roughly 3% of Canada's crude imports. In the last two years, Canada was not importing any crude at all from Russia. So this was a very easy move by the Liberal government uh, to ban crude imports. And it also makes Ezra's argument that Canada can't or won't really silly. <laughs> mm -hmm. There is one caveat to this, however, which is that Canada, to my knowledge, has yet to ban oil products from Russia. So even though yeah. like we're not importing crude, we're still importing uh, gas and uh, refined gasoline. So, for example, Canada imported 10,000 barrels of petroleum products from Russia in 2021, 50% of which were uh, was gasoline. 10,000 barrels is like literally nothing, though. Yeah. Like that's, and that's yeah, that's, that's all just like crude a products. Tiny baby numbers. Yeah, or not crude. That's all oil products, other than crude oil. So, uh, it's yeah. The fact that like so that's that's five thousand barrels of gasoline, <laughs> and fifty per, or five thousand of some other kind of oil based product. So there's one gas station somewhere in the far north where it was cheaper to. <laughs> import it from russia than it was to like send it all the way north or something like that quite possibly and you know 10 cars totally used that gas station like, <laughs> yeah just nothing so canada unlike america produces more oil than it uses domestically however this doesn't mean that canada would not be impacted by sanctions or uh russian uh, or by sanctions on Russian gas, specifically because Canada doesn't have the refining capacity nor pipelines designed specifically for all of our domestic needs. It's also not discussed how building more domestic refineries or pipelines, etc., will help when corporations might export to foreign markets for economic reasons anyways. So when all the right-wingers are using this talking point, like somehow we can, we can just... Uh, use the oil and gas we already have in our country rather than exporting it or, or importing from other countries. But then like they're not advocating for the uh, other part of it, which is like you'll need to put regulations or say nationalize the oil and gas companies to prevent them from selling their oil for higher profits elsewhere. No, Jody, you just scoop up some tar sands and dump <laughs> it in your vehicle and then the vehicle works. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. 
support Alberta gas, Jody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this... You'll probably know this from the previous coverage that w- that we have done uh, on this on this podcast. If you are a regular listener, which is that Ezra has written a book called Ethical Oil, which is one of his bigger books that got him a lot of attention. And the idea was that we should be using Canadian-based oil products so that we're not needing to get uh, oil from, say, those scary Muslims. Is basically <laughs> is basically what his book was about. So this is something that he's constantly advocated for, but it's still, it's like, at the end of the day, he's also this kind of, like, free market capitalist, so he doesn't fill in this other picture, which is the fact that, like, we still sell our oil, so how do you know that it's going to be used for domestic consumption unless you regulate that or control it? But government control is supposed to be the other bad thing, right? That's a, that's a Trudeau dictatorship, or whatever he wants to call it. Now, to be even more fair to Ezra... Uh, He was unaware that a week after suggesting that America would not ban Russian oil, uh, in the clip that we just listened to, America has, in in fact, banned all imports of Russian oil and gas. Uh, And it is not clear, however, that the Keystone XL pipeline would have helped this situation, which is also what Ezra suggests here. So I think, like, Russia imports way more oil from Russia than the Keystone would have, like, helped with. Although, like, I would say, like, none, like <laughs> we still shouldn't want to invest in pipelines and shit. Like, why invest in a pipeline on, like, on the off chance that, like, this world war thing is going to happen and we're going to need to get an oil supply from somewhere else when we can just invest in renewable energy? I'd like... <laughs> um, I thought you were going to give the real answer, which is when we can just lift sanctions on Maduro and get all that gasoline we need from Venezuela... I will say, Iran and Venezuela have not come up yet uh, this week, at at all this week. Uh, And so I wonder if that's something that's going to happen next week when all this starts coming out. But you have two uh, enemies that Ezra has mentioned on this show before are now becoming closer allies with uh, America. (laughs) Because, hey, when you need the oil, where are you going to go? So we now recognize Maduro again. I, there's no way Canada does, though. Well, at least, yeah, America at least does. Yeah. Sorry, this is a side note on just, like, the whole sanctions thing. But it's just, like, really interesting that everybody's kind of focused on the oil and gas prices and not the wheat and corn exports from Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> because that feeds, like, like a quarter of the world. <laughs> Do you... Do you know if, like, we get a lot of wheat products from Ukraine? Um, Or is it primarily, like, European markets that receive that? No, it's actually a lot of Middle East and North African countries. Okay. Um, For Ukraine, it probably does go more towards Europe. But, like, no, it's, it's largely the countries that, like, we don't really give a shit about. So... I don't know, it's kind of, like, also not surprising that it's not being talked about, because it's... Yeah, I think yeah. it's it's also that it's not affecting us directly like the gas prices are, because, of course, everything has to be America-centric, uh, or even, like, if you want to be generous to Canada, um, North American-centric. <laughs> so NATO-centric. <Yeah. laughs> 
true, true. I guess if it was affecting uh, Europe and stuff like this, that would also be considered so. But yeah, that the wheat uh, stuff doesn't come up at all. I think at some point, and I don't know if I have a clip of it, uh, Ezra does complain about the fact that stores are no longer carrying uh, Russian vodka. Or at least he complains that there's been like an, an overreaction. I think he said there was some incident where they were banning a Latvian uh, vodka because yeah. it had a Russian-sounding name. Uh, yeah. And like, th so there, the interesting thing is there was a lot of this that I didn't include this week because it's like odd moments where I kind of agree with Ezra. <laughs> and that would be one of those cases, so. We don't need to ban the uh, Latvian vodka to stick it Fuck to Russia. Fuck Latvia. <laughs> we should only be banning Latvian vodka. Now, so we got we got the fact that like Ezra has some issues with whether or not Canada could or could not uh, deal with uh, blocking the imports of Russian oil and gas. And uh, we've got that out of the way. But now we get to Ezra's main conspiracy theory, okay? The conspiracy theory is that Gerald Butts, who was Trudeau's best friend and used to be more involved with him in government, uh, and he's also the CEO of the World Wildlife Fund Canada, apparently Gerald Butts received dark money to stop the oil sand productions in Canada and that the dark money he received was likely from Gazprom, the Russian state-owned energy corporation, which was funding environmental activists worldwide in order to make the world reliant on Russian oil and gas, and therefore make it hard for the world to fight the Russians. Gerald Butts added sand to the oil. Yeah. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> oh my god, this is so good. You know, I remember when the truckers were crowdfunding and Gerald Butts was all over the TV talking about dark money and foreign money and how it was gonna corrupt Canadian politics. The joke is, those were a ton of little $25 gifts from ordinary people. Uh, the vast majority of the givers were from Canada, and of course the money was seized, it wasn't given anyways, but that's called psychological projection because Gerald Butts knows all about taking dark foreign money to mess around in Canadian politics. It's what he did at the World Wildlife Fund. I wanna pause there because you pointed out, I think last week or the week before, when talking about Give, Send, Go, and you were saying that what Ezra was doing was projection because uh, he was claiming that, you know, uh, they need to uh, to deflect or they're taking all the dark money, but they deflect and put it on like the, the foreign foreign funded environmentalists. Right. And now Ezra mm -hmm. is saying the reverse. While, while like that, they're projecting that they're doing it <laughs> while downplaying the fact that, of course, uh, they received a. Uh, big donations for the, the Canadian truckers, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's almost like uh, Ezra did a nuh -uh <laughs> to the argument you made last week. <sighs> he heard, he listened to us. So, <laughs> so I just want to say too, for starters, some of the American donations to the trucker convoy had emails that were linked to the Department of Justice, NASA, and the Federal Bureau of Prisons as well as other government departments uh, connected by their emails that were leaked uh, on Give, Send, Go. One of the biggest donors was some dude named Thomas Siebel, who's an American who made his money in the tech industry, specifically uh, with software, and he donated $90,000 to the convoy. <laughs> 
One of the biggest Canadian donations to the convoy was $25,000 from someone named Holden Rhodes, who is the former owner of a company called Carproof and is a graduate from Western University and a resident of London, Ontario. Nice. I wonder if he's related to Cecil. <laughs> Dear Lord. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, like, here's the thing. Is they try to pass off these truckers or the people who donated to the Give, Send, Go. It's just like, moms and pops giving 20, 20 bucks so that a trucker could have a coffee. Meanwhile, like, here's a bunch of, like, fucking rich assholes donating 90 to, like, $25,000, you know? God. So, uh, it isn't projection, Ezra. You're just a moron. (laughs) Yep. And then he continued that work when he went to Ottawa as Trudeau's top aide. Say, who spent all sorts of money secretly fighting against oil and gas in the West? Some left-wing anti-oil groups, for sure, like Greenpeace, you bet. But my point is, who funded them? Because you don't see Greenpeace campaigning against fracking and Russia or against really anything in China, the most polluted place in the world. Canada uses as much oil and gas as ever, but it's, it's just imported now from Russia, Saudi Arabia, that kind of thing. So, so who is the hidden hand? Who's pouring in the dark money to kill the oil sands? Let's get back to Russia for a moment. Here's the former head of NATO, Anders Fogh Rasmussen, explaining that Russia and Gazprom we're spending millions of dollars in anti-fracking and anti-drilling environmentalist campaigns in the West to stop, in particular, Europe from drilling its own natural gas. It, it had to be hidden donations or it would be too obvious. People would react negatively to Russia trying to fight against Western oil and gas. But what a rate of return. They spend $50 million in fake eco-activism and sell $50 billion in Russian natural gas. That's a pretty good rate of return. So yeah, Gerald Butts accepted foreign money to fight against Canada's oil sands. And let me ask you, is there any other Canadian who has done as much to stop Canada's oil sands from being exported to Europe or Asia? Well, let me put it another way. Is there any Canadian who has done as much to help Vladimir Putin by keeping Canada out of action as an oil and gas competitor. Tovarich Butts, Comrade Butts, has done a very good job. Comrade Butts. (laughs) Of course. So, I'll just begin by saying Greenpeace activists in Russia... Uh, They boarded a Gazprom oil rig in the Arctic in 2013 and were arrested for doing so. Hmm. So the idea that somehow Greenpeace does not operate in Russia is incorrect. Greenpeace also has an office in China where they are currently lobbying the Chinese government to improve their climate commitments. Now... Of course, something like that, Ezra could easily say, is showing that somehow Greenpeace in China, like, has been co-opted by the Chinese government or something like this, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Now, this to me shows that at least Greenpeace is in China trying to do something, but it also could mean, uh, like, I think I was reading a report talking about how 
a lot of like environmental activists had already been like arrested in other contexts, and so they tried a different strategy to reach the government. And like that's not to mention, I know Greenpeace has other problems and everything. They're not like a perfect organization, but the fact that he highlighted them saying they don't work in these two countries, and you could look it up, they definitely do work in these two countries. So that was the first incorrect thing that he said. <laughs> the next is these comments by uh, someone named Anders Fogh Rasmussen, who was the head of NATO. And this was... Uh, so what Rasmussen claimed was that Gazprom was funding environmental activists, and he said this back in 2014. This is when he was the head of NATO. Mm -hmm. And these comments even back then were ridiculed because remember the, the case that I just mentioned about the Greenpeace activists being arrested in Russia? That happened in 2013. So a year before he made those statements. So everyone was like, what, like, what do you mean Russia is funding like <laughs> these environmental movements abroad because they're getting, if that's true, they're getting the blowback from it in their own country. This is a bit weird, Rasmussen. Now, furthermore, yeah. when Rasmussen was asked this, uh, or asked by a reporter to give details on these supposed operations that were conducted by Gazprom, he declined to answer the question, saying merely, that is my interpretation. <laughs> That's going to be my answer for any time anybody asks me for a source or, like, anything. That's my interpretation. I just, you know, it's just, like, the, the confidence that Ezra has in just citing the head of, of NATO eight years ago just saying something off the fucking top of his head without any supporting evidence to back it up. And just going, yep, that's it. And then, and then, eight years, uh, <laughs> eight years of space where everyone forgets that this is something that happens. And Ezra could just go, "It's a fact." I could just state it confidently to my audience, even though there was absolutely no supporting evidence that this was happening. Jody, there's supporting evidence. Yeah. Yeah, that's my interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> You got me. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> Lastly, contrary to Ezra's claim that Gerald Butts stopped the oil sands while being funded by Gazprom, Alberta's oil sands productions had a record output in 2021. Uh. Which, you know, is devastating that that doesn't get talked about, but it's also like... It's in the same vein of Ezra consistently denying that the government purchased Trans Mountain Pipeline with the purpose of building it. He still thinks that they're not going to build the Trans Mountain Pipeline, even though they are currently building it. Uh, <laughs> and he thinks, he keeps, he said more than once in this episode that oil sands production has stopped, even though it's having record outputs. Like, I, I don't even, like, I'm trying to think of what the strategy here is other than to, like, make his audience feel like they're under attack or something for being oil lovers. And, like, that's been, t their culture is being taken away from them or something. 
Which is why you get, like, those Albertans who wear the I Love Oil shirts and shit like this. Like, like is that what he's appealing to? Because otherwise, like, I don't understand what this strategy is. Jody, when was the last time you drank a good glass of Alberta oil? Uh, you know, it's been a while. Exactly. <laughs> I just, I, I don't get, I don't get the strategy. Also, I like... The, the Gerald Butts thing. I mean, like, isn't it amazing, too, that, like, he claims that Gerald Butts is receiving foreign funding from Gazprom based on a quote from this Rasmussen person that was based on absolutely no evidence? <laughs> it's pretty on brand. Like, the thing is, like, I don't even like Gerald Butts. What? Like, at least, you know, at least criticize him in the realm of something where, like, I can get on board with criticizing him. Like, I feel like back when we were covering the LNC scandal, so this was before your tenure as the co-host on the show, uh, but this is back when, uh, well, everyone, anyone who remembers Canadian politics, there was a scandal in the Liberal government with uh, uh, natural gas uh, through, like, LNC, which was a corporation out of Libya, was it? It's been a while since we've had to cover this, so... <laughs> No, it was a corporation in Quebec that had co uh, connections to the former Gaddafi government. Right. So there was connections to Libya, but it was based yeah. out of Quebec. And and anyways, Gerald Butts ended up leaving the liberal government as an advisor. Uh, he, I think he was only like as a good advisor or something in some capacity over this scandal that, that happened. And so... Uh, I mean, back then, we had a lot of negative things to say about Gerald Butts. But Gerald Butts is now some dude on Twitter <laughs> who used to be or is still friends with Trudeau. But, like, he remains, like, the the one thing that Ezra, uh, like, it's his enemy. He hates Gerald Butts. And I got some insider info on this, too, because I, w I met, uh... oh, now I can't remember his name. He's in Ottawa, I think, and he's a member of uh, provincial parliament. Also, it was SNC-Lavalin. So it wasn't LN... I was getting... You know what it was? I was getting confused LNC with liquefied natural gas and then SNC-Lavalin, oh. like, combined together to create LNC. Yeah. <laughs> LNG, I just thought the Lavalin SNC, yeah. got moved to the front. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, the person, uh, the MPP in Ottawa, his name is Joel Harden. And I met him at an NDP conference years ago when I told him that I was going to be doing this podcast. And he said that he went to the same university as both Ezra Levant and Gerald Butts. And apparently Gerald Butts and Ezra Levant used to always, they were like on the debate team together and would be like sparring debate partners at their university. Uh <laughs> And constantly fighting with each other. And that has just continued to our present day. So, fun insider fact. All of Canadian politics is based around the feud between Ezra Levant and Gerald Butts. Sorry, Vienna, that's a comrade Butts to you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh my god. So, we're now done with the, the oil and gas portion of uh, the show, and we're on, uh, I guess Ezra then wants to talk to Yankee Pollock, their employee who is based out of Florida, who went to CPAC, which is the uh, Conservative Political, Political Action Committee, and they hold a, a conference. 
And they play some clips during the sort of discussion that Ezra has with Yankee of the various uh, conservative celebrities that he met while at CPAC, including this interaction with my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell. Um, Yankee Pollock, Rebel News. Who are you? Rebel News. Who's that? Ezra Levant. Are you a left wing nut job? No, right wi- a right wing nut job. <laughs> what what can you, I do for you? Tell me your experience at the Canadian border. The Canadian border, well, contrary to the lies of the media, I was not there myself. Uh, the trucks, all of the pillows now are in Ottawa. I got them across on another, through, through New York. And I did not put them in parachutes and drop them in. That was all fake news. Okay. <laughs> The, what's your message for the Canadian truckers and truckers? The truckers, the, the, uh, the truckers, what they did was so important at this time in history because all of those mandates came down in Canada, like Ontario, all these places they pulled down the mat. Now, remember, they said, well, we didn't pull them down because of the truckers. It was just the right time. Right. Okay. But it worked. The truckers, they got all these. Like, I'll give an example. I used to go to Ontario every, every year, still do with my dad fishing when I was a kid, all the way up in my family going now. Well, we couldn't go fishing the last couple years up there. And we go way in Northern Canada with this tribe. There's a, about 1,200 Indians that live up there. And they, were, they count 100% on United States fishermen and hunters up there. Their economy just got completely ruined during this COVID crap with the mandates, right? So, oh, thank you, Mike. Yeah, yeah, so it's all good now up there. Well, that's great to get him. And so he, he, his complaint is with the fake news in Canada and the States. Uh, I believe it. People love to attack him because he doesn't bend the knee. He's very, he's a stubborn Trump supporter and the, the, the diehard Trump fans love him. And the, the Trump derangement folks hate him so much, don't they? They do. They certainly do. And, you know, I sleep on my pillow every night. So I certainly love his props. <laughs> Yankee Pollock with the endorsement of the MyPillow brand. <laughs> True. <laughs> Ezra with the endorsement of Mike Lindell. Yankee with the endorsement of the pillows. I love, like, he just, like, doesn't cover anything that Mike Lindell did. Like, all his lying about the elections, all the, like, Dominion voter fraud shit that he's being currently sued for. <laughs> None of that. It's only he's a stubborn Trump supporter, and that's why everyone likes him. <laughs> I wish he had parachuted pillows into Ottawa. That would have been a pretty fucking cool move. Yeah. It was fake news. Like, what, just like giant airplane, paper airplanes going across, like... I don't even know where the American border is in relation to Ottawa, but... Yeah, not south? <laughs> yeah, south. apparently. It's just like, I... I loved as well that like Mike Lindell didn't even know who they were, because like if you remember the very beginning of that clip, he's just like, "Who uh, are you? <laughs> are you left wing nut jobs? No, we're right wing nut jobs." <laughs> and it's so there's like an element in which is like, how embarrassing is that? That like Mike Lindell and these right wing grifters, like he doesn't even know who Rebel News is. <laughs> oh my god! So I I don't See- know. They should have said, we made Gavin McGinnis. And Mike Lindell would be like, ah. My boy. <laughs> my son, my child. I, uh, yeah. And I don't know what, like, it would be hilarious if they start doing, like, my pillow advertisements on Rebel. That would be hilarious. 
But anyways, I thought that would be a little bit of a comedic interlude. <laughs> and he sounded pretty drunk, too. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That was that was the February 28th show. We are now on March 1st, the Tuesday. And Ezra begins the show by criticizing a liberal MP's tweet, praising the show this hour has 22 minutes. Now... <laughs> uh. For those who are, say, not Canadian listeners, because you probably don't know what the hell this hour has 22 minutes is, it's on our Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, which is the public broadcaster, kind of like your PBS, but, say, better funded. And it's a comedy show where they they do, like, a mock newscast thing and some skits. Right? Like, is that pretty much... And it's been going on for decades. Like, it was on the air when I was a kid. Yeah, it's like... I'm trying to think of, like, American examples. It's like a mix of an SNL-type thing with, like... What's that, Stewart? Daily that Show? John Stewart. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, more it's, a mix it's of more like two, Saturday Night Live. Like yeah. a weekend update kind of thing. Like, you know how Saturday Night Live used to have that segment, or maybe they still do... That's kind of like a newscast. No. So they used to do a thing on Saturday Night Live called Weekend Update. And they would they would cover the actual news, but just make jokes about it constantly. They wouldn't do the kind of like media critique that Jon Stewart was like more famous for. It would be more like, here's a news story, poop joke. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's more in line, I think, with what this hour has 22 minutes does. But apparently... Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, a liberal MP uh, promoted it and said, happy birthday or something. And this is what Ezra is responding to. I don't think it's a healthy sign that this tweet is considered normal. I bet even you think it's normal. We just see it so often. 600 episodes making us laugh. An epic milestone. Congratulations, 22 minutes. So we've got a Trudeau cabinet minister, Pablo Rodriguez, praising Trudeau's government comedians on Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster. None of that is a real or authentic expression of, of Canada. It's all political propaganda. It's all bought and paid for. You cannot actually be a government comedian unless you are a court jester in the style of William Summers. You know who that is. We've talked about him before. William Summers was the official jester to Henry VIII, who was the sort of leader of the opposition before that was a, a thing. His job was to mock the king to his face, to challenge him, to rebut the flatterers, to bring him back down to earth, given all the professional liars that you could imagine hung around a king. And Will Summers was given special immunity to do so. He said what no one else dared to say to the king's face. Yeah, the government comedians on the government broadcaster, the CBC, they do the opposite. They attack Trudeau's enemies for him with a laugh track. That's not normal, by the way. I, I know a lot of comedians are left-wing anyways. I get that. A lot of the arts are left-wing. I get that. But I'm here to tell you it is not normal for a government cabinet minister to promote a government comedy show on the government broadcaster. That is not normal in a healthy democracy. That's something you'd see in Turkey or Iran or Russia, which is why I mention it. As far as I know, there is no ban on Western broadcasters in Russia. <laughs> I want to see these Turkish and Iranian state-backed comedians. <laughs> I don't. They're, they're, what the, the fuck? 
The funny thing is, is there's there is a Russian equivalent of this of like a Russian comedian who criticizes the Russian government who has since been I think he's been sanctioned since the uh, invasion started or like they removed him from the air or whatever. But like the the greater point here is just like it's amazing to me how much he thinks there's a connection between the CBC and the liberal government. Like I've seen this hour has 22 minutes. It pokes fun at everyone. I like and it does so in the most uh liberal veneer possible. Like the even the criticism of the conservatism or the conservatives is so light and just like it, it like accepts the fact that they exist as a part of the the Canadian like political scene and like lightly ribs them rather than like you know it doesn't annihilate them for being conservatives you know what I mean like I for and so for him to think that somehow like these like old middling comedians on this hour has twenty two minutes saying their silly jokes is somehow the equivalent of like being connected like to a fascist government or some shit like it jody i last time i watched this hour is 22 minutes they went into detail on how to make napalm and, <laughs> um, hit your local mp's office so um but they specified only if they're right wingers so i don't know i don't know what to say you know you're watching one show i'm watching another our state-backed media supports the armed destruction of the opposition so true you know no you're right i mean was it this hour has 22 minutes or no i'm thinking of what was the other one canadian air farce that used to be a show at the same time as that was like an older canadian show and they had a segment on it where they would stuff a a cannon full of things usually like canadian type foods like poutine and stuff and then would fire it at a politician like a picture of a politician. Oh, uh, maybe they That'd actually. Be very funny if they got it. <laughs> they probably did politician. at some point. I, d- I don't doubt it. Uh... <laughs> so yes, it really only work once. <laughs> you know, I don't think any politicians would sign up after that. <laughs> well, it's like an air cannon. It's not like going to explode their face off. Yeah, but like getting food launched at your face on television <laughs> is not a great look for any politician says you <laughs> it would have my vote every ndp candidate loyally lining up to get shot by the imagine like they see a, no that's what they they see a ratings bump or or a poll bump so then everyone's lining up to get blasted in the face with poutine that's just <laughs> becomes a necessary thing to be to even like run for office i ha- i have to say too there was a segment in that clip where it, what did he say will summers or something whoever whoever this yeah. court jester figure is and he's like we've talked about him before i don't remember him ever coming up <laughs> i've been listening to ezra for two two three years i can't even remember now i've not heard him bring this up before on his show but again it's like what you could have just explained what a court jester is Rather than having a specific example and go on about it for like ever, but I left it in there because I wanted to bridge to get when he gets back to this hour has twenty two minutes. But what a weird tangent to fucking go on. So now, uh, now that we're done about the the comedian thing, you can see where Ezra's going next because he mentioned the fact that 
Russia doesn't, uh, you know, Russia hasn't censored or removed any Western-backed media sources, which actually isn't the case. Uh, there's several companies that Russia doesn't carry. And even recently, I think they blocked BBC from being able to air in Russia since the invasion. So, so this idea that somehow Russia doesn't do this is just incorrect. But Ezra's next complaint about what is happening in relation to the war in Ukraine is that Canada is going to ban Russia Today, which is the evil Russian propaganda network. Now, as far as I can tell, this hasn't happened yet in terms of the government doing something. The government has floated the idea to add a CRTC regulation that would do something in terms of banning Russia Today, but... I have not seen the legislation yet, and it's not clear what that would look like. Mm -hmm. So Ezra like keeps claiming it's the government that is doing this, but it seems to be that he's reacting primarily to cable companies within Canada who have taken the initiative themselves to no longer offer Russia today. But he is still suggesting that there is some sort of collusion between these oh. companies and the liberal government. Trudeau's heritage minister told Canada's broadcasters to cancel Russia today, and they did. And I learned this not from those companies themselves, but from the government itself. Here's Pablo Rodriguez. I commend Bell for removing RT, that's Russia Today. Russia has been conducting warfare in Ukraine since 2014 and information warfare across the world. RT is the propaganda arm of Putin's regime that spreads disinformation. It has no place here. I'll have more to say very soon. Well, what do you think was going on behind the scenes? The companies got the message. What's the word for it when big government and big corporations make political decisions to that together behind closed doors. I think that is actually a technical definition of fascism, isn't it? So, <laughs> it's fascism. What? Vienna, it's fascism. The, so what happened? Where is that definition from, Ezra? No, it's that, that uh, fascism is just the government and corporations working together. Uh, that, like... I was thinking about this too because like there is some aspect of that 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 a lot of people sort of relate back to fascism which was how like uh Nazi Germany sort of like uh worked with their CEOs in tandem to to produce like their fascism within Nazi Germany but like most of that is because the the corporations were on board with the Nazi project like you know what I mean? Like there was a relationship yeah. there as opposed to uh, uh, and usually one in which was like mutually beneficial to that extent, you know? Rather than it being like that is the definition of fascism, which like I don't know, maybe that used to be the definition of fascism back in the 1940s. But I think we have a better understanding of that uh, nowadays. No. <laughs> like there's that has never been a definition of fascism. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have said whatever bullshit, like, academic said it. Like, you know, he will source things when they aren't just fully made up, you know? I've The only reason I say that is because I've, he I've heard similar claims be made, especially in reading, like, older books talking about fascism, in that, like, fascism involved a kind of, like... uh 
involved a, a a like more autocratic control over like corporations and stuff like this and like a relationship there but like that wasn't the be all and end all of what like fascism was like we know yeah it, but i it was like at least a part of what people speculated and i actually don't think like i think that just is a natural relationship between the types of people who are ceos with fascist governments rather than say a connection like a connection between what the economy is and like a fascist government or something like this i think fascism can work in many different economies personally mm-hmm. i don't know like more about the russia today stuff where it's just like these companies made a, a choice off of you know to not offer a network that one probably can't even pay to be on those networks anymore like to be on those cable companies and two like they get bullshit liberal political points off of it so it's just like the cable companies still profit you know like it's just it's purely that no i think you hit on it like uh, in in and that's the thing is like ezra even points to this in the tweet that he read which is like the liberal minister was say like was con- uh, commending Bell, I think it was Bell, maybe it was another company, uh, yeah. for for taking the initiative on their own, which is like, as you put it, all this is is the companies being like, look at us. It's like it's like the companies wearing uh, like Black Lives Matter stuff in their Twitter logos and stuff like this, right? It's like, look at us. Mm. We are so noble and brave. We took the initiative to get rid of them all on our own. Government, now don't you love us it? money? And of course, that then the liberal minister goes out there with a tweet like, "Aren't you beautiful, Bell? Look at all the wonderful work that you're doing." Like, this is exactly what it is for. It's like you don't need some sort of like backroom dealing or collusion or whatever the fuck like Ezra was trying to paint it as, because like, it's just built into the system. Like it's it's a, a self perpetuating thing. You don't need a backroom deal, <laughs> you know. I wonder if people switched from a cheaper company to Bell just because of this i doubt it how many i don't even know how many people watch russia today (laughs) no no like i mean switch to bell because they're just like such shit libs that they're like wow they banned russia today (laughs) i love bell bell let's talk about banning russian media (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know depends on if bell is still carrying fox news i think that's going to be the determining factor if it's still carrying Fox News, then the uh, same people who would be angry are are already on board. And I think all the other people who would consider themselves to be leftist anti-imperialist types would just be against Bell already. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess... I guess I want to ask... I mean, like, So Ezra's argument here is that he he's he's or at least his argument against the banning of RT is that there's other propaganda networks that exist for other countries and we're not removing them so why should we ban RT and not all the other state broadcasters and then he also makes the slippery slope argument that like you know first they come for RT and then they're going to come for everyone else kind of argument I, I don't find either of those arguments very convincing because, like, you could have a really bad state broadcaster that does nothing but lie and 
I don't know, like, could just be Holocaust denial 24-7 or something. You know what I mean? And in that case, like, yeah, get rid of it. Like, I, I don't personally care. You know what I mean? So then the mm-hmm. question, and then like the slippery slope argument I don't think is accurate either because there's a specific reason why RT is being targeted and none of the other countries because currently RT is involved in a war of aggression against another country. <laughs> which, <laughs> uh, and, and they're not America, which, you know, I mean, it would be... <laughs> You know, Canada, I, I doubt Canada, after the war in Iraq, would have taken the initiative to remove all American channels in Canada. That's just not fucking happening, okay? Uh, I wish we did that. I mean, it would be based. I'm just saying, I doubt, like, you know, there's limits to what the Canadian government would do in that uh, circumstance, I think. We're banning BBC, effective immediately. <laughs> so it's like... I don't I don't think it's a slippery slope. I think there's a pretty obvious reason why RT is being targeted. But all that being said, I'm curious uh, uh, of what your thoughts are in terms of like whether we should or should not or whether we should be worried about the banning of RT. I don't know. Like it's one of those like yeah, I don't really give a shit. And I'm sure that it will probably have consequences and it might end up being a slippery slope. But it's like, one, RT deliberately spreads misinformation. Two, like, don't trust any state media broadcaster. That's a pretty easy one. Um, Three, like, again, yeah, who the fuck watches RT? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Like, it's just kind of like, I don't give a shit about it. Yeah, the the stakes aren't as high for me. Like, I guess like, it, it, given given what's happening in Ukraine and given, uh, what RT was already doing. Like, I've always been sort somewhat conflicted about RT because there's several shows on RT that have a similar relationship as say Bell and the Liberal MP, where they just agree with each other and it's not collusion. I think what RT does a lot of the time is they will hire people who are anti-imperialist reporters in America because they already like that's like easy propaganda because Mm -hmm. it's like these people are already saying the things we want them to say. Let's just give them a platform to do it. And that doesn't mean what these people are saying is wrong. I, in fact, a lot of them, I think, are right, uh, speaking out against American imperialism. It just so happens that RT is using this as like a mutual advantage to be like, hey, I'll pay you and you can use this platform. Now, I, I'm also worried the extent to which some of the people that I liked uh, who did join RT's network have moderated their positions in ways that I don't like over the years. And I wonder how much of that is a relationship with RT. But... Uh, so there might be something to say there. But at the same time, I'm like, that relationship exists. And so it doesn't mean that everything on RT is bullshit. That being said, RT also airs conspiracy videos. Like, they've yeah. released, like, 9-11 conspiracy shit. Like, <laughs> you know. See, it's kind of like if RT covered news from Russia and was still a Russia Russian state, like, propaganda network, I would be okay with it, honestly. But it's because it does so much of, like, the non-Russia stuff. That's why I don't care that it's banned. 
because like if it were covering russia and then therefore would probably have like some sort of relationship to the russian diaspora and like you know canada and the u.s have big russian populations and they probably want to get news about home that isn't through kind of like regular english language channels so like then i would be sympathetic to like you know oh it shouldn't really be banned but yeah they do boring bullshit that i don't care about and conspiracy documentaries and like weird other bullshit and that's the main thing that they do so it's kind of like no i don't care and even yeah and that, like that's the other thing it's like the only other things i can think that have come on my radar that rt have produced is like they've released like anti uh trans stuff uh mm-hmm. homophobic shit like the stuff that they put out into the world is bad not just on the level of like uh it, it's it's bad in the same way that ezra is bad <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and so there's like I, I just, I don't have that sympathy be, in part because RT doesn't have those standards because they don't want to have those standards because RT has a specific project that I think is like uh, deleterious to, to the world. You know, I think it's different when I, uh, I mean, this is, this is always something that's hard to sort of like frame because it's like, sure. Something like Al Jazeera, uh, Al Jazeera, Al Jazeera, uh, of course it has its bias given who funds it which is the the Qatari government right but like they still do their best to like cover the news like a news broadcast <laughs> you know what i mean they, they don't just put out i mean they even might put out some puff pieces uh here and there right but it's not as heavy-handed as just like here's something that's completely false and is going to attack trans people you know yeah and like I don't know, like, Al Jazeera English has really, like, frustratingly excellent news coverage in a lot of ways. Like, there are a number of articles that have come out in Al Jazeera on, like, indigenous stuff in Canada that I would not see on most Canadian broadcasters. Like, it's really, like surprising and like they're also quite pro-palestine and then they're also you know apologists for the turkish government and apologists for like everything that Qatar does but it's like and you know in al jazeera arabic they do kind of the same horrific shit that like rt does but rt does it in english and that's kind of yeah <laughs> the difference <laughs> Yeah, And, you know, Anglo-centric as that might be, it is kind of a, like, an important difference. Like, you know, if you're banning it for being, for, like, the English language news, then, yeah, RT doesn't really put anything out there that's, like, necessary. And that's kind of it, where it's just, like, you know, is any of this something to care about not particularly i think personally like where i would uh, where i would start to get upset is i think if the government had some sort of like uh if if they passed some sort of crtc regulation which was explicit like we are banning russia today something like heavy-handed like that would annoy me i think if they had in legislation that was like 
we're against the airing of certain hate materials, uh, including because again, like I just know I've seen this RT documentary on the trans thing, which was really fucking gross. So it's like, mm. if if they had it at that level, where like we're banning RT because they violate other laws uh, in terms of like broadcasting standards that we have in Canada, then I would be okay with that. But if it's just like heavy handed, like we are banning Russia today because they're Russia today, like I might have an issue with that. Uh, but at the same time, if Bell is just deciding we're not going to carry it anymore, I re- like, welcome to the world. I don't- <laughs> Let's abolish yeah. corporations. That would be the solution to that problem, you know? Hell yeah. So anyways, I, I don't, uh, Ezra's way more worked up about this uh, than I am. Even though, like, I, I don't know, it's surprising. Ezra doesn't seem to like RT, so interesting to note. It's like it was kind of surprising that Ezra doesn't like uh, Putin very much, which has set him uh, in opposition to a lot of his uh, colleagues. Hmm. The interview section was with Andrew Lawton on the first, and uh, it, they're sad because they had to wear masks, and uh, that's that's it. No need, sure. <laughs> no need to get, oh, go over that stuff. Uh, it's not really worth it. So that takes us to March 2nd. And Ezra begins uh, his Wednesday show by being very clear that he is against war and he does not like Vladimir Putin. Look, I'm against war. I think most people are, other than maybe arms dealers. I'm skeptical of Vladimir Putin. He's an authoritarian ruler who has suspended civil liberties in Russia and seeks to dominate Russia's neighbors to recreate an empire. He invaded the country of Georgia. He's invaded Ukraine several times, and he has eyes on other independent countries that were once part of the Warsaw Pact, sort of the Russian uh, response to NATO. One of my main arguments in my books, First Ethical Oil, uh, which was obviously uh, about the oil sands, and my follow-up book called Groundswell, which was about fracking, mainly natural gas, um, one of my arguments was that for every barrel of oil or every cubic foot of natural gas that we produce here in Canada, that's one less that will be produced and sold by the world's bad actors, mainly OPEC dictatorships in Russia. I tell you that uh, in case you somehow think that I support Vladimir Putin or his territorial ambitions. Of course, I don't. And of course, I don't like to see the reports out of Ukraine of violence and casualties. So I I wanted to play that in part because it's an interesting contrast to people like Tucker Carlson and Alex Jones, who I would put in the same sort of camp as Ezra. Uh, And I think part of it is because he has the history of the books that he mentions here for why he has this sort of like motivated interest in that. But then also it's like the history of uh, Ezra being sort of like supported by the oil and gas industry in Canada over the years. Mm -hmm. I think like those connections make him sort of hostile to a oil competitor like Russia. (laughs) Uh, Regardless, although like I'm glad that he is highlighting the, the harm that this will do to Ukrainians and stuff like this. So and I will say, I, beyond this, I mean, there wasn't a lot to to talk about in terms of, like, 
the war itself because I kind of, even though I don't agree with all the specifics and I don't agree with all the rhetorical flourishes that Ezra might have about the conflict, in the end, we seem to agree that war is bad uh, and this war should stop and Putin should not do it. <laughs> and on that note, congratulations, Ezra. <laughs> You somehow landed on a moderately correct position. So just worth worth highlighting that for some reason, compared to all his other, uh, you know, friends in the conservative sphere, he and the thing is, I feel like the reason like another reason of playing this clip is like you can notice that he has to stress it. It's almost like he's had people come to him and be like, why are you against Putin? And this is like him on his show being like, listen, I am clearly against Putin. So it's like he feels the need that he has to make that clear to his audience, which is another reason I find this kind of fascinating. Because otherwise he doesn't have to do this, you know? Yeah, I, I am still like so curious about how things are going to shape out on the right wing in relation to this because of like so many of them taking these pro-Russia stances, like, yeah, just like, you know, is there going to be a split between different factions of Fox News? Is there going to be a split between, like, you know, Ezra and Tucker and Alex Jones type of thing? Like, or will Ezra kind of just, like, eventually get the message of, like, oh, I should just be quiet about this and, you know it makes it easier to keep the grift going type of thing. I know Tucker has already sort of, he's receiving feedback that he should back off his pro Putin stuff. I think it's hurt okay. him in like the ratings. So he's, he's making the choice to back off the anti Putin stuff. So now he's pivoting to the more like the Biden week. We should not, uh, we should not be uh, blocking oil stuff because that's going to hurt us. You know, like the more like populist message the anti-war okay. message, anti-sanction message, rather than the pro-Putin message. So I think that's already happening there. But like, I don't, I don't know. It's interesting because I was watching a clip of somebody interviewing like the American trucker type people. Mm -hmm. And the American trucker convoy people, when interviewed, seemed very pro-Putin. And those are supposed to be like Ezra's, Ezra's boys, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean like that to me is going to be the more interesting thing here to like rather than like the the giant sort of like conservative ecosphere, but more like how Ezra's going to hold this anti-Putin position in the face of of the anti-COVID pro-Putin types. Mhm. Mm or I should say anti-COVID restriction pro-Putin types. Yeah. But I don't know. Because I don't know, the other part of it is like, I other than like a few anecdotal stuff that I've seen, I don't know how big that portion of the pie is either. It could be that that doesn't represent all of the anti-COVID restriction types. Because this also feeds into like the ongoing narrative that they've, the right wing has pushed forever, which is like anti-communism. And like, it's been built into like a lot of people's brains. And I know that Russia today is not a communist country, but like the Ruskies, you know. 
Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like still like ingrained in the the sort of like right wing mindset that like Russia has that history, and you get you know a lot of people I think still associate Russia with communism. So it might be that it's it's an easy it's an easy leap for the the anti COVID restriction types. Yeah, I'd imagine so, and like. You know, there are a lot of the norm, like the majority of those types are the kind of like normie anti-restriction types too, where it's just like, oh, wearing a mask is uncomfortable or like whatever else. Or like, ow, my arm, it hurt. Types (laughs) where it's just like, you know, they're just idiots rather than like the ideological ones. And I could see the ideological ones going pro-Russia but then, like, they were on the risk of alienating the rest of yeah. the, like... <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting, regardless. Ezra then wants to talk about the war and how it's been characterized on things like social media. And he makes a comment that I think you would agree with, which is that he complains that all that Twitter is is a cesspool of misinformation. <laughs> and <laughs> that nothing is shared on there that is accurate, so don't go to there for any news on what's happening in ukraine and he believes that it has to do with the fog of war that like there's just so much coming out that like people don't have the time to fact check it right away and stuff like that so he's just he's he's mad at twitter generally which i thought was uh interesting because i kind of agree with him on that too (laughs) yeah but then the big thing that ezra wants to talk about is the issue of a no-fly zone and ezra claims so, for example, the, the no-fly zone idea is that some people have speculated on the media and also uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine has uh, said that he wants it. And it's basically you have space over Ukraine where no one's allowed to fly planes. But, of course, this means that it has to be uh, patrolled. You know, somebody has to enforce the uh, the no-flying and that enforcement would mean that someone would have to theoretically shoot down a Russian plane that would break the no-fly zone rules, which would then mean World War Three, Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's uh, America or Canada or whoever who has to enforce this thing, it's going to bring on conflict if that happens. So that's this idea of the no-fly zone. And Ezra is against it. Good. <laughs> And Ezra claims that the Canadian government actually wants this. And the reason why he thinks this is because of an interview on CBC with a general named Rick Hillier. Uh, I mean, I said he's a general. He's actually a former general, so he's no longer a a general. In fact, I think he was recently a part of Doug Ford's task force on COVID-19. Yes, he was, and I think that's what led him to to resign. Because he's a general? Like, retire from being a general. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Now, Hillier was on CBC recently saying that he wanted a no-fly zone over Ukraine. And Ezra correctly points out that this would mean World War III and nuclear war and how, like, batshit crazy this is. (laughs) And it is. Like, I don't know why this Rick Hillier person thinks that it's a good idea, but there you go. It'll be great funding for the military. Yeah. For the three minutes before the bombs. We all die? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, (laughs) those last 20 minutes or whatever after, like, the missiles get launched, 
Parliament will pass a military budget increase to the military. You just know <laughs> it. That'll, that'll be the last thing that they do. You know, when we started this podcast, I didn't think that I would be standing in solidarity with Ezra against the military-industrial complex in Canada against the starting of a nuclear war with Russia. <laughs> okay. I did. <laughs> you did? You, that was the, yeah. yeah. That was the one thing I knew was going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's against that. I, I do want to say, though, the one thing that Ezra gets wrong here because Ezra thinks that the general being on the news, clearly this is like somehow the government signaling that they actually want a no-fly zone. But as of this recording, I mean, the government has explicitly stated, the Canadian government has explicitly stated that they do not want to have a no-fly zone over Ukraine for the exact same reasons that Ezra and I disagree that it should happen, which is that mm -hmm. it would cause World War III. So, I mean, his framing is wrong, but, uh, but yeah, this Rick Hillier person, stop it. <laughs> what are you doing? So now, the fact of that we're talking about the no-fly zone, this leads to Ezra to talk about Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. And uh, Ezra praises how he has chosen to remain in Ukraine during the war, but... He's also wary of Zelensky because he used to be an actor. <laughs> and, as, <laughs> and Ezra says that being an actor doesn't mean you can't be a good leader. He points to Ronald Reagan being an example. I'm actually kind of surprised he didn't point to Donald Trump, who was kind of an actor. I mean, he was in Home Alone, too. So, uh, But I mean, a celebrity, I guess, like, Donald Trump was more of a celebrity than an actor, but yeah. like... The Apprentice was at least some sort of, like, performance art piece, I guess. <laughs> no, that was pure reality. <laughs> Trump didn't even know that they were being filmed. That's just how he lived his, lived his life. So, when it, when it comes to Zelensky, though, and the reason why he's worried about Zelensky being an actor is because he's worried that there are people who want to bring about World War III like Rick Hillier, and that they might be using Zelensky as a kind of puppet to bring about that war. Cool. I'm uncomfortable with all this. It feels like that old movie, Wag the Dog. I, I don't deny there is a real war, and I don't deny that Putin is a malign force. I wrote about it in two of my books. But you'll forgive me if I don't sign on to World War III with old generals who miss the action and old diplomats with personal grudges. And I think I've learned to be skeptical of political leaders who can immediately change into anything like a chameleon, depending what script is put in front of them. People who can be anything to anyone, actors who will read any script in front of them, any teleprompter. We Canadians know a bit about that, don't we? So he doesn't, like, fully, like, unfurl it, but you could see, like, what he's hinting there is that somehow Zelensky is going to be given a script and he'll be able to, like, perform it. And then somehow, that just like the generals going on TV, somehow this is going to lead to World War Three or something. But the next thing that he plays in this clip that, that I didn't include was clips of Trudeau acting. 
Because I guess, like, there's the thing he used to be a drama teacher or some, like, thing, right? So I guess what he's trying to compare is Zelensky to Trudeau in that they had some background in the performing arts. So that's that's why we got to watch out for that Zelensky. <laughs> sure. And the thing is, like, Zelensky is kind of like the a Trudeau of Ukraine in a lot of ways. A very center, center-right individual, so... Does not. Uh, there's other comparisons that one could make, rather than the acting portion of this comparison. And if you think about it, like having basic like acting skills is a useful thing for a politician because you know how to speak that way. Yeah. But that's kind of it. Like, I don't know. Just like imagining somebody handing Zelensky a script and him being like, "Oh yes." Time to pivot everything, you know, we're not talking about the defense of the nation anymore. We're talking about, hey, we need nuclear war. Like, what? It's just like such an escalation. I don't know. But it's also, it's like, I know, I can understand why Zelensky is calling for a no-fly zone, even if it's out of desperation. You know, like, it makes perfect sense why he would, even though, like, like... The prospect of World War III is a theoretical prospect when you are the one currently being bombed. You know what I mean? It's like you're already experiencing hell. Like you wanting to bring the world on it for like... Because like in that case, the slim chance is maybe World War III doesn't happen and maybe the bombing stops. And even though I think that is a small, (laughs) small chance of that happening for the people currently being bombed, that small chance seems worth it. Where the rest of the world is like, I don't know, World War III is pretty bad. Maybe <laughs> maybe we shouldn't do it. As much as we can understand your desperation, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I don't even think it has to be some sort of like scripted thing. It's like, I would almost be surprised if he wasn't calling for it, you know? And then in the interview segment, we get Abby Yamini talking about Australia. I don't really care, so we're going to skip it. No offense to Australia. I'm sure lovely people, lovely things happening over there. But uh, Abby's just, I don't know, talking about COVID restrictions again, and I don't care. If the governments are going to pretend that COVID is over, I'm going to (laughs) pretend like Ezra's COVID content doesn't matter, which it doesn't. Hell yeah. So then we are on to March 3rd, and Ezra is still mad about Russia today, uh, being booted from cable companies, and he again says a lot of things that I find agreeable about Putin and the war in Ukraine, so uh, I'm going to skip covering most of that. In the interview section, he has on a National Post columnist named Rupa Subramanya, and she supports the trucker convoy, and she says... uh, that they were in fact not white nationalists because she is not white and they were friendly to her. So, uh, checkmate <laughs> people who thought it was a white supremacist truck rally. Uh, Rupa and Ezra think you're wrong. Is Rupa also the one person that's on uh, New Left Radio fairly frequently? She quite possibly could be. Hmm. I... I honestly, I found uh, her take very boring. Uh, The only thing worth highlighting here is that she does work for the National Post. So the fact that she felt comfortable going on Ezra's show is a little bit worrying because 
the only other National Post columnist that has been worthy of coming on Ezra's program was Barbara Kay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now that has expanded to include Rupa. But I don't know, given some of the things that Rupa said during this interview, I don't know how much of an overlap there is between her politics and his, other than the fact that she seems to support the trucker convoy, for whatever no, reason. No, she's, she's pretty far right. Okay. Like... But that's kind of my point is just like I, in this week, there have been two people who regular show up, regularly show up on New Left Radio. <laughs> I would say her her far right, though, is a lot more presentable than his is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, especially in how they interacted with each other on the show. She's a lot more reserved about it that it, it wasn't as explicit. Yeah, no, she's very much more of a like conservative party, but like center to right of the conservative party type of thing but uh yeah nothing much i mean pretty much all they talked about was the fact that they're not white nationalists i mean the other thing is she was like you know what we really need to do is just understand the truckers we haven't we haven't spent enough time as canadians to fully understand what it is to be a trucker in the trucker convoy and this is the thing that always happens that i fucking can't stand is whenever like right wing assholes are doing something and causing some shit, all the liberal press wants to step in and be like, "We need to understand them. We need, <laughs> we need, we need eight thousand pieces getting to know every individual trucker and understand what their grievances are." Mm-hmm. When it's like, I I know what their grievances are, and I think they're assholes. Uh, I don't need your your understand like. I already understand them. I just don't, the understanding to me is not going to lead me to sympathize with them. It's going to lead me to be like, we need to do something with our right wing problem. (laughs) In the mailbag segment, Ezra is mad at people wanting to ban Russian stuff. So this is when he mentions the the banning of the uh, Latvian vodka. He also mentions apparently uh, there is this literature course that was going to ban Russian literature from its course. I don't know that this is true, but the only example that Ezra could come up with that was great Russian literature was Solzhenitsyn's uh, Gulag Archipelago. <laughs> so for th- think of Tolstoy, like... Dostoevsky. <laughs> yeah. Even Chekhov as, like, a playwright. Like, uh, there's so much out there that you could go with. But but okay. no. The the one person who uh, worked with the fascists and wrote a book about how the Soviet gulag system was terrifying. He didn't work with the fascists. He just said that they were a liberating army. I mean, he was definitely adopted by the fascists. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much i mean this is why it's not a it's not a surprising book choice of ezra's if that makes sense so then we get to march 4th the friday and ezra ends the week by bringing it back to the classics so we get more vaccine and covid denial crap and i don't care to go over any of it except for the fact that ezra quotes at length a solzhenitsyn piece <laughs> To, I guess, compare the vaccine mandates to the Soviet gulag system. <laughs> and I honestly feel like what happened here was like he did the mail seg- the mailbag segment the day before and got reminded that Solzhenitsyn was a person and was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to go back and hit my, 
look at my my uh notated version of uh the gulag archipelago to to pull a quote from mm-hmm. and then he ends the show talking about the american truckers which i believe are still doing something <laughs> They're driving around, you know, the truckers, they're just, they're just trucking about. They're just trucking it up across America, didn't you know? Yep, just having fun. So, uh, that's it. That's, that's, you know, hon- honkerific. Hon- <laughs> I think, you know, they were supposed to, it was supposed to be, we are going to the Capitol for the Biden speech, the State of the Union. The Biden speech happens, almost no one showed up. And then there were, I guess now the plan is that it's going to be this weekend that they're gathering in DC again. Like I, it's so confusing. I've listened to other people like the American people who cover the far right and all of them are confused about the American convoy in part because it seems to be combined with both elements who would just like, don't want to do anything that comes close to breaking a law. And then there's <laughs> another contingent that wants to do like, January 6th part two and so it's like because of these conflicts like within them I mean that sort of happened in the Canada case too but the difference was like the Canadian trucker convoy still did the one illegal thing which was like occupying space whereas it doesn't even seem like the American convoy wants to do that so they're just trucks driving around sure just trucks driving around just truckers trucking and you know what it's that's going to be very costly right now with oil prices going up so (laughs) have fun boys so so really you're just burning a hole in your pocket for no reason so congratulations honk honk you did it I have an article this week. It's really good, but quite long. It took me a couple days of, like, coming back to it to get through. Um, It's amazing, though. It's about climate change um, and the death of Louisiana. Uh, And it's... It fucking hurts to read, honestly. Like, that's... That's the main takeaway, I think. And it's just like an excellent and really like literary and like poetic kind of article about um, what is happening to Louisiana as a re- result of climate change. And um, with particular focus on Louisiana's um, Mississippi River Delta and the... Um, mistakes that uh engineering and oil corporations and everything else have made and also how that relates to um the indigenous people living within the coastal regions of louisiana um it's one of the like best articles i've read in a while and i don't know like it just It really, like, hits pretty hard, I gotta say. Um, also, the title is cool. It's called Ghost Forest, Atlas of a Drowning World. 
Um, yeah, no, it's just really good. Read it. I love it. It's funny because you had selected this article before we did today's episode, but like, there is like a connection in terms of like all, everyone talking about the oil and gas uh, sanctions and saying we need to somehow like bring back our refining capabilities and pipelines and all this shit when it's mm-hmm. like what's being left out of that conversation is the very real and obvious thing, which is that climate change is still real, guys. Maybe uh, maybe we should still think about that. And, and Louisiana is like the one case because not only like, you know, obviously Louisiana has severely been impacted by climate change with the severity of like hurricanes, storms, and, and the devastation that that brings about, but also the fact that Louisiana remains... Uh, I think it still is today the most polluted state in all of America, in part because it is where all or most of the oil refining takes place in America. Uh, yeah. In part because of its connection to the Gulf, which then it could, you know, the the tanker supply chains that get shipped out into the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, you know, the the devastation that 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 has not only on the environment, uh, like globally, but also locally to those people. Like, maybe we should move off of uh, this technology and find safer, better stuff to to uh, supply us with energy or even to start moving away from being an energy-dependent society in some capacities. Like, learning to let go of some of these things. To live yeah. uh, in ways that doesn't necessitate the destruction of our planet, you know. Because I still want to live on it, you know? I sure would like to, yeah. So? I would like other things to live on it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Only us! <laughs> but, uh, anyways, uh, so I, I have not read the article yet, but uh, I, I will eventually. It sounds really interesting. We actually plan on reading that on the show on our Twitch stream at some point, uh, but uh, things keep coming up on our Mondays, so we've <laughs> skipped it. But we like part of the reason we want to read it is because also to highlight the fact that, you know, it's it's not that we're distracted by the trucker thing or that we're distracted by the the war in Ukraine. All of these things I think are important issues that people want to spend some time with, obviously. But like, climate change is that ever present phenomenon that like we shouldn't drop the ball on it like we should always remember that it's there so yeah and it's the thing being fed by yeah. it. like it is the crisis being fed by every other crisis like you know anytime that there is something happening in the world that is making climate change worse like there was a clip that went viral recently of like jordan peterson on joe rogan being like the climate is e- the the climate people want to say that the climate is everything but if it's everything it's meaningless but it's like Literally, the climate is everything. Like, there's, mm-hmm. unless we're talking about the universe at large, okay, the climate's insignificant. But for everything that happens on the fucking planet, yes, the climate affects everything. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> then maybe that's important, buddy. That's not a. God, Jesus Christ. Anyways, it... <laughs> why people still listen to these people? I don't know. Yeah. But. If you're not totally depressed with this last uh, conversation about climate change and you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news of the Z 
We have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find videos on our YouTube channel, and you can find all the links in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at Mason. Excuse me. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And Russian oil and gas imports. You sanctioned. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?